I'm inviting you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start there and then jump over to Luke chapter 18 in just a minute. But we're continuing our series called Elephants in the Room. And uh, guaranteed uh, you are aware of elephants in the room, maybe in your family, in your own home. Uh, that's where elephants tend to live. Uh, and if you don't know what an elephant in the room is, it's this, it's, a, it's an awkward thing or a, a problem that uh, no one wants to talk about. And uh, it's not just homes and not just families, it's corporations, it's companies. Uh, they tend to have uh, um, repositories for elephants as well. And uh, the thing that we've been talking about these last few weeks is that churches aren't exempt. Church families tend to have plenty of elephants in the room, and uh, we tend to kind of just ignore them. Well, as your pastor, I feel that uh, these are things that God has been calling us and nudging us to address, to talk about, um, to uh, not shy away from these issues. Hopefully, you were here last week. Uh, you're able to hold that rock in your hand, and don't just let that be a one-week thing. That, uh, okay, been there, done that. Uh, um, that's a process, something that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to keep uh, working in our lives. Uh, each and every week that we've been talking about these things, this isn't just, okay, we addressed it, now we don't ever have to talk about it again. Well, these are things that God, I believe, through the power of His Holy Spirit, wants to keep nudging us. Move. I love to say that God wants to move us to that more God-honoring place. From where we're at to where He wants us to be. And I believe it's a lifelong process. Um, so today, we're going to talk um, about self-righteousness. And uh, in Genesis chapter 3, this isn't a story that's uh, new to any of us here, I don't think, um, but let's take a look. We're going uh, to discover some things, I believe, allow the Lord to speak to us along the lines of self-righteousness. Uh, starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to, called to the man, Where are you? The man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman 
you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. One pastor put it this way, The man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. It's just kind of this blame game that was going on. This is not an unusual story. This isn't an unknown story. We've all read that. We've all heard about it. We've all experienced it, each and every one of us in our lives. And in that moment in time, Adam and Eve sinned, and this relationship with the Creator was shattered. It was broken. And what did they do? They were told, sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And here Adam fabricates a facade, fabricates a facade in order to present himself as acceptable to God. And hear me, ever since that day, we have been doing the exact same thing. We have been fabricating this facade to present ourselves as better than we truly are. We've been putting on this righteousness in order to look better and holier and more put together and hopefully no one will notice. I talk about, and the title is, that glorious fig leaf. And no, I'm not going to hold this in any one particular place on my body, okay? Uh, I did think of passing them around and, you know, and, uh, and just seeing how your, your sewing skills are, but at the same time, uh, you know, one is enough and we'll just have to look at it. But we've been fabricating that facade, that fig leaf in front of us and trying to present ourselves righteous and holy before God and before others. And it's this comparison that goes on. We've been doing it ever since. How am I doing in comparison to that person and that person and that person? And, and uh, it's almost like taking a step up. Well, I'm not this bad. In fact, I'm a little better than that. And I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm just a little bit better. And this is what goes through our mind. No, I'm not this sinner, I'm, I'm one up from that sinner, uh, or I'm another one up from that sinner, and we, we, we start grading, we start assessing, we start, we start putting this on a spreadsheet and, and just figuring out how bad is bad and how good is good. And this is what we do, and it all started with a fig leaf, a glorious fig leaf that we have been constructing and building around our lives ever since, and we call this self-righteousness. And it's something we all struggle with, and I believe that the word of the Lord for us here at Crossroads Church is, quit doing that. Stop it. Let's just end that right here, right now. Can we be honest with one another and, and, and agree that that is not something that is pleasing to God? That's not something that God looks at us and goes, oh my goodness, what a awesome looking fig leaf Darren has. What an awesome looking facade this person has or that person has. And oh my goodness, I didn't see just how wonderful. No, God doesn't do that. Never has and he nef never will. 
You see, we systematically categorize ourselves and others, and we try to manage the sin factor instead of allowing God to deal with sin in his way. Let me turn over to Luke chapter 18. There's a story there that Jesus tells. And and Luke says this in verse 9. He says, Then Jesus told a story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. And before you go to the next step and, and just like the Pharisees start looking across the room and going, Hey, this is for that person. I'm glad Pastor Darren is preaching on this today because I hope, you know, that person gets it. You know, Boy, he's finally hitting Luke chapter 18, and my goodness, oh, the Holy Spirit is... And maybe you're even praying for the Holy Spirit to speak to your brother or sister in Christ on the other side of this room. Okay? So, don't go there. Don't go there. It's easy to dismiss this and deflect this, uh, that, okay, the story is for that other guy. It's for the Pharisees among us. It's for the tax collectors among us, right? No, 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 no. So here we go, verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Notice he says despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Lord, I thank you. And I'm sure he had this, just this pompous, boisterous, loud voice. So everyone could hear him. Thank you, God. In his boisterous sincerity. Thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers, and was probably nodding and looking at people as he was saying that. I'm certainly not like, I wonder if he pointed. You know? I think he did. I'm not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, that's what Jesus says, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned, returned home justified, righteous before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, this facade that we construct, fabricate, put on, this glorious fig leaf that we assemble in front of our nakedness, is really this theory of one-upping each other, is this comparison, I'm not as bad as that other person theology, and it's a sentiment that we land in every day. And really it comes down, I believe, to a posture of our heart this posture of our heart and how we relate to our Father in heaven, the condition of our soul, how we see ourselves and whether or not anything is wrong. You know, here I am and here God is and and where's that gap and, and how close in proximity am I to holiness compared to other people? And do I cling to that device or do I cling to the grace of God in which he has provided on my behalf? And this, you see, this this posture of our heart is, is so important. As I was thinking about this, pondering this week, I'm like, how practically does this work its way out? And, and I understand that the, the, the Pharisee was looking at 
the poor wretched sinner and, and what his claim was were the things that he did. I tithe and I, I, I give this and I, I, I serve and I, he, I'm sure he could list a hundred things that he would do. And you know, as I got thinking about this, it's, it's not so much the doing, it's the heart behind the doing. You see, I believe that the, the dis disciplines of our lives flow out of that true understanding of what God has done for us. There's a quote I, uh, I, I put together. There's some blanks in your, in your bulletin there. And I just want you to follow through this and just the thinking behind this. But you can throw that up on the screen. I really believe that, that self-righteousness falls into this category. <clears throat> it says to determine... That the discipline of my faith that daily draws me to Him and maintains this pliability or the, the, the softness of my heart is no longer necessary for me. You see, what the, the Pharisee was jumping into is that the disciplines were just the, the check boxes. They were just the, the, the things that were, would um, endear him to God. But that doesn't mean that the disciplines are things that you throw out. In fact, the disciplines are the things that are the outpouring of our heart. You see, we don't give, uh, when we give our offerings and our tithes to the Lord, we don't give them out of duress. We don't give them out of obligation. What do we do? We say Sunday after Sunday. We give them in response. In response to the blessings in which God has given to us. We give to Him because He has given so much to us. And so the disciplines are in the context of this, this heart position with God. And you see, to determine the, the discipline of my faith that daily draws me to Him and maintains the pliability of my heart is no longer necessary. It's saying, you know what? I'm, I'm just lowering this to a binary type of decision. I'm doing this in order to put a smile on God's face rather than I'm doing this because the condition of my heart is, is open and soft and moldable before Him. Let me just explain some other places where I think we, we move into this, this place and we forget these disciplines that are important that, that help us maintain this humility before God. I think one big area is for us in the Bible Belt in, in, in Christian North America, and I know... I don't say that uh, just uh, flippantly because I believe that there are many parts in, of North America, in particular the United States, that are far from Christ. In our area, we tend to have a higher just kind of uh, percentage of people who are, are at least calling themselves Christians. But see, here's what happens is, is we get to this point where, where God, I believe, is drawing us into, into knowing more of Him and reading our Bibles more and praying more and, and being discipled more. But you know what our, our position and our posture tends to be is? No, no I got this. No, I, you know what? I, 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 don't need the, I don't need to really grow in my faith. Why? Because <laughs> I'm already here. You see the, the, the self-righteousness and the, the arrogance that comes with that? I tell you, folks, the hardest place to put on a get to know your Bible more and get to know Jesus more is in the Bible Belt. I tell you, I, went to, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, a, a, a city back in the 80s that had less than 2% church attendance. 
And I tell you, you put on a, hey, discover who God is and who Jesus is and what he came to do. And I tell you, you've had hundreds of people seeking and craving and just wondering, who is this? What is Jesus all about? How do I get to know him more? You come down into southern states and place where people are supposed to know about Jesus and it's kind of like this, no, I don't need that. I don't, I don't have to go there. I don't. And be, why? Because it's this facade we're putting up. If I do that, if I go and, and attend a discipleship class, that, that's, that's an admission that I, I, I don't have it all together. It's an admission that I don't know everything. It's an admission that I, you see where I'm going? And your church, I want us to crave. I want us to press further in. I want us to be a church that's constantly sitting there going, you know what, I don't know everything. You know what, I don't have my faith all together. I don't get this whole thing about identity and purpose and, and forgiveness and grace and repentance. And I want more and more and more of this. You know, so many of us, we got the, and we think, hey, oh boy, if I go to a, a life group, that's an admission of, of somehow I don't have my spirituality all together. Can we just get over that? Can we just move past that and just hunger and thirst and crave more for him rather than have this posture of the Pharisee who's sitting there going, you know what, I tithe and I do this and I do How about even tithing? You know? Just what is the condition of our heart and how do we surrender to the Lord or is it just this checkbox? You know, can we press more into who we are in Christ rather who we are with a fig leaf attached? Let's lay down the facades and rely solely on Him rather than our, our own self-proclaimed righteousness. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he was a 19th century preacher, an English preacher, and uh, he put it this way. He said, could you imagine... Could you imagine if uh, in the animal kingdom a decree came down that every single animal needed to be a sheep? There's this just, just decree. Okay, all of you animals, great and small, big and small, uh, you know, ferocious and meek, you all need to be sheep. Well, what good would it do for a bear to say, um, excuse me, but... Um, you know, I, I don't slither around on my belly like that uh, snake, and I'm definitely not as sinister as that snake, so you need to cut me some slack. It wouldn't do him any good because he's still not a sheep. You imagine what it would be for the wolf to say that, you know what, yes, I'm stealthy and I'm cunning, I'm gaunt and grim, yet I'm not as terrible a grumbler and not so ugly as the bear. So you need to cut me some slack. What if the lion were to refer to the fox and say, you know what, I'm not as crafty as the fox. Yeah, it's true. I, I, I wet my teeth with the blood of my, uh, my victims. And I, I, you know, there, there are some characteristics that have proclaimed me to be the king of the beasts. But you know what, I'm, I'm not that fox. So you need to cut me some slack. Well, in any of those settings and situations, it wouldn't do any of them any good. Why? Because none of them were sheep. Yes, all three would look at each other and plead their case. All three, yes, have leg, four legs and a tail and walk around on four legs. So they're close to a sheep, but none of them are 
sheep. To argue that some of them have more gentleness, more docility than others, it wouldn't do them any good because none of them are sheep and none of their arguments would stand. You know, likewise, Spurgeon goes on and talks about the court courtrooms. What would our courts be like if someone who had committed a crime came in and said, well, I, I understand, Your Honor, that uh, I'm guilty of, uh, you know, going 195 miles an hour down 380, but uh, you know what, I'm not a murderer, so you need to let me go free. What would it be to say, yes, uh, Your Honor, I understand that I, uh, you know, stole $1,000 from my neighbor, but you know what, I, I didn't. Uh, speed down the road at 190 miles an hour so you need to let me go free what good would it do for the judge to say oh my goodness yes you're right you're you're not a murderer yes you're not a a thief and oh in that case I'll let you go it's an absurd proposal just like any of our proposals to consider ourselves better than a fellow human being is absurd you see, it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Our sin is sin. None of us are good. None of us can conjure up enough righteousness. None of us can save ourselves. We sang the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but Jesus Christ is the one who's washed it white as snow. It's his forgiveness. It's his righteousness. Take a look at, at Romans 3. I, I don't know anyone who is more uh, heavily weighted in his writings that talks about the depravity of our sin and, and what Christ has done for us. Paul in Romans 3 says, For all have sinned, every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of his righteous requirement, of his standards. There is no one righteous, not even one. No matter how much you want to, to put on that facade and fake it, the reality of the matter is you cannot do that on your own. You cannot get to his righteousness on your own. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, he amplifies the statement. He, he doesn't say, hey, you're just kind of, mm, you know, you're in trouble. No, look what he says in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, as for you, not just that person on the other side of the room, not just that person who seems to not have it all together. No, as for every single one of us here in this room, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Dead. Not kind of half dead, not kind of quarter dead, not kind of sort of dead. You were dead in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, the same spirit, the same uh, evil one, the same devil who was at work in Genesis 3. All of us, every single one of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature... Mm, just kind of sort of okay and no deserving of wrath the wrath of God upon those who had fallen short of his glory let's move on but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you've been saved you see it's his love for us and his grace for us by which we've been saved verse 6 
says, and God raised us up. So this predicament, this place that we were in wasn't permanent because of Jesus Christ. He says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. You know, just stop there for a second. It doesn't say, you know what, Darren took a step up. And Darren made another step. And Darren made himself righteous before God to the point where God said, mm, yes, sir, you're in. Yes, sir, you've done enough. Yes, sir, you've put a smile that's big enough on my face that you are now acceptable to me. It doesn't say, and you know what? Darren raised himself to the point where he was acceptable. It says, and God raised himself. For it is by grace. There it is again. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And then if we hadn't quite got it yet, you know, I think Paul knew human nature. He goes, just in case you were kind of foggy on this, this isn't from yourself. You did not do this. You didn't fabricate. You didn't conjure this up. It wasn't this little green thing hanging in front of you that made you acceptable to God. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. You can't do it on your own. You can't get there from here. You can't manufacture it on your own. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Romans 7, he goes on. Paul says, he, he just says it like it is. He says, what a wretched man I am. Now, I don't think you can honestly read this scripture and just glance over it. I think you can just read over it and skip by it and kind of ignore it, but I don't think if you're really asking the Holy Spirit to examine your heart and speak to you, I don't think you can just glance over this without stopping and having some time with the Lord. What a wretched man I am, Paul says. Who's going to free me from this body of death, this body that is subject to death? And you know, it's an awesome thing. He doesn't stop there. And the encouragement for each one of us is don't stop in that place of condemnation, in that place of what a wretched man or what a wretched woman I am. But at the same time, let's not gloss over that too quickly. We need to understand exactly the work on the cross and what Jesus has done for us. He goes on to say, thanks be to God who delivers me. I highlighted delivers me. So that's an important word, an important set of words there. Delivered. You have been delivered. You've been brought from, you've been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have been transferred. For God has sent His Son, Jesus, He who was without sin, it says, He became sin for us. Jesus himself, who was without sin, became sin for you and for me so that you and I would become the righteousness of God. He took on sin on our behalf so that this exchange could take place. 
and we could step into his righteousness. Notice it's his righteousness. Colossians 1, and I'll end here. It says, for he has, again, rescued us, delivered us, transferred us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, church, you have sinned, I have sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. There's no mixing words, there's no mincing words, there's no exchanging sentences on this. It is what it is. And without Jesus Christ, we can't get there. And why is it, why is it, why is it that we feel like we can and we should do this on our own and look down on someone else? Why is it that we feel like we somehow have to put on that facade and take that step up on our own doing and, and we look down with despair, we look down with, with uh, this, this kind of self-righteous attitude toward those, even those in the body of Christ. Why do we do that? Well, this person is struggling with this addiction and this person can't get their finances together and have you seen how that person dresses? And have you seen how that person carries themselves? Have you seen how that person just can't get around their mind around their identity in Christ? How this person is believing those lies of the enemy, or this person is still struggling and harboring bitterness. Or... And it's so easy to point the finger and say, just like the Pharisee, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that person. How enlightened do we think we are? How holy do we think we are? How righteous do we think we are? And the Lord spoke to Isaiah about God's people. He said, Isaiah, tell my people that their good deeds are like filthy rags. Because what they do in fabricating their own righteousness, in trying to uh, ingratiate themselves to me, it's not working. What did the Lord say to David? He said, you know what? Your offerings aren't what pleases me. The things that you do, the way that you are trying to put a smile on my face is not working. In fact, the thing that puts a smile on my face is a broken and contrite heart. You know, church, in a day and age and in a culture where it's all about me and it's all about us and it's all about what's in it for me and, and making ourselves prominent because God knows no one else is going to. If I don't look out for me, who will? If I don't do this for myself, who will? In a day and age of, if I don't do this for myself, I'm going to get taken advantage of. It's very easy to start looking out for ourselves and putting on that facade. But can I just say, I don't believe that's the church God wants us to be. And I don't think you're the person that God, that's the person that God wants you to be. And it all begins with a broken and contrite heart and knowing and understanding that we are sinners in need of a Savior.
And we are saved by grace and by grace alone in Jesus Christ. You might be here this morning and you know who God is. You might even talk to him. Let me just tell you this, that even the demons talk to, to God. You might sit here and you might say, hey, I believe. I believe in God. Again, it says even the demons believe and shudder. So what's the difference? What needs to take place? Let me tell you, it takes place when you surrender your heart to him. You repent of your sins. You invite him to come in and take up residence in your heart to be the leader and the forgiver of your life. Older words are, are Lord and Savior. But we, when we allow him to rule and reign in our hearts, that's salvation. And you might be here this morning. You might have never done that before. You might have never invited Christ into your life before. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. At the same time, my, my guess would be that the majority of people in this room have at one point made that decision. But let me ask you, what's changed? Is that something you cling to daily? Or is that something that, that, that happened, been there, done that, and I moved on? I believe that what God is calling us to is again is to bring us back to that first love and that first understanding of how we are saved. It's not in and of our own righteousness because it's real easy to go there. But a reminder. And once again, this is not condemnation. This is conviction. Allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and go, you know what? We can move to a more God-honoring place. That I don't have to sit there and compare myself to other people and take a step up on my own. In fact, I can lower myself. And I can surrender myself to him and to one another. You see, the community of faith is about a right relationship with God and a right relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what I believe God has for each one of us. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. First of all, for those of you who have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in that prayer. And then secondly, I want to lead us all in this prayer of rededicating our lives to him and saying, you know what? Yes, it is by your grace and your grace alone, your work on the cross that I am saved and I'm clinging to that once again today. And this is the type of person I want to be and this is the type of church we're going to be. Can we do that today? Let's bow our heads, all right? I'm inviting the worship team to come and join me up here. Father God, hear our prayers this morning. And Lord, for those here who've never invited you into their hearts before, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to them right now, reminding them, telling them, revealing to them just how much you love them. And folks, it begins by, by simply saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things I'm done, I've done. I'm sorry for falling short. I'm sorry for, for my sin. You might just want to take a moment and just think of some of those things that you're sorry for. Some of those things that you regret. Some of those things that you know God doesn't want for you. So, Lord, we're sorry for those. Second is saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for my sins. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for taking the penalty that I deserved. Thank you for setting me free and bringing forgiveness into my life. And the third thing is saying please. 
Lord Jesus, would you please come in? Come into my heart. Come into my life. Take up residence. Be the leader of my life because I know I can't do it on my own. Be the forgiver of my life. Be the one who, who sets me free from sin. That condemnation that is upon me. Please come in and change my life. If that's you this morning, if you prayed that prayer, today I want you to tell someone. I want you to let someone know change that's taken place in your heart. Brothers here this morning, those who have one point made a decision in your life to follow Christ, but it's kind of become just more of a of a badge, of a lifestyle, of just kind of something we do and maybe haven't paid as much attention to it as we should. Father, I pray you would remind us again today that it's not anything we've done. We recommit our lives to you. We ask you again, come in. Fill us with your goodness. Forgive us of our sins. Please come in and continue to make a daily difference in our lives. We surrender to you again. I want to say how much we love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm inviting you to stand. Our altar team's going to be here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. And like I said, this doesn't just stop in this vertical relationship. You'll notice Jesus gave this, this picture that was horizontal in nature. Because who tends to get the fallout from our self-righteousness is our brother and sister in Christ. That's where it hurts. That's where we offend. If we can pray with you this morning, we'd love to do that. Uh, if you're here this morning and you have a need on your heart, maybe a relationship need, uh, healing, we truly believe that the Lord wants to heal bodies, heal minds, heal souls. If you need a physical healing, we'd love to pray with you and come with those who, who come for prayer. We'd love to provide some ministry for you. Um, we're going to dismiss in just a moment. But let's worship. Let's center our hearts on the Lord and, and affirm this word in our lives before we leave this place today. If we can pray with you, come as we sing. All right.